Loved ones, you know what it means when a pastor takes off his watch? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) We turn together today in God's Word to the book of Job. We're picking up where we left off, turning now, as you see on your outline, on page 4, to Job 38. I'll be reading portions of Job 38 through 40. Hear now the word of God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Verse 36, who has put wisdom in the inward parts? Or give an understanding to the mind. Chapter 39. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Verse 5. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? Verse 9. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Verse 19. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Verse 26. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is he. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Everyone is finally done talking. Has that ever happened at a family gathering? You think, has everyone said something? Is it finally the point where people are done talking? Sometimes at our family gatherings, people do that. We, we talk over each other, and you need a break. You need to breathe. Well, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Job, and even Elihu are done. Do you remember last week, loved ones? Elihu, whose name means, he is my God. He appeared to prepare the way for the Lord, much like Elijah. His name sounds similar to Elijah, doesn't it, kids? 
And now God comes to finally speak to Job. The hardest thing for Job, and he's had a lot of hard things, has probably been the silence of God in his mind. 37 chapters. He's been crying out to God, lamenting, complaining, grieving, praying, struggling, asking in some ways for a court hearing with Almighty God. And finally, God appears in his time and in his way, but not in the way Job wanted. Because what we'll see in these chapters, which are the longest set of chapters in all the Bible with the uninterrupted speech of God, Job jumps in a little bit, but from chapter 38 to the end of 41, God is speaking. And what we see here is he asks Job questions in response to Job's questions. So Job is wanting to know, why does this seeming injustice happen to me? And God wants Job to know about true wisdom. Because these chapters remind us of chapter 28, which is the central chapter of the book. The wisdom with which God is governing the world. That's the focus here. As we look at a passage that both humbles Job and assures Job of God's favor. And that's what we need today as well, loved ones. To be humbled and assured. And we look at wisdom that says, let God be God. First, God appears. In chapter 38, verse 1, kids, do you see what word is capitalized in your Bible? You can look at your Bible or look on at mom and dad's Bible. L-O-R-D. What does that spell? It spells Lord. This is the covenant name of God. This is the God who appears later in Exodus to Abraham in the burning bush. He says, I am who I am. This is the God who keeps his promises from generation to generation. This is the God who in Exodus 34 says, I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's who God is today as well, loved ones. He has not changed. He is appearing to Job, reminding Job in grace of his covenant promises to Job, of the covenant of grace that had been made with Abraham, which was about the same time as Job is living, of that covenant of grace that was promised to Adam and Eve. That's the same covenant. And it's the new covenant in Christ's blood that's the fulfillment of that covenant. And so God is saying to Job, everything's okay. You might not feel things are okay. Everything might be crashing around you, Job, and same for us today. God is sovereignly, graciously assuring Job of his kindness to him. That's an encouragement to a suffering man. This is not God coming in judgment on Job. That's important because what we see next is that the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, appears in a whirlwind. And Job needed to know of God's favor to him because this whirlwind would have reminded him of what had happened in chapters 1 and 2. It would have reminded him of the storm that came and his kids, all ten of them, that were dead. It would remind him that God is sovereign even in these hard things. God comes to him 
in a theophany. That's what this is called. It's a visible representation of God, much like we read in Exodus today, kids, when God in Exodus 19 comes in a thick cloud and delivers the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind like this to heaven. And in the book of Ezekiel, a stormy wind, a cloud, fire and brightness appears. That's the Lord in all of his glory. So the God of mercy and grace is the God of holiness and justice. His love is a holy love. And he speaks here in verse 2 to challenge Job. Remember, he's speaking as a kind father who loves his child. But he wants to, in love, correct some things like kids, mom and dad do for you. And he's saying, Job, you know, my plan or design is perfect. I know you're struggling, Job. You've confused things. You're a creature. You're not the creator. But you need to know, Job, that now is the time to dress for action, verse 3. <laughs> this is quite a verse. Literally, God is saying, Job, we're going to have a wrestling match. <laughs> this is hard for us to understand, but remember the angel of the Lord, Jacob, Genesis 32? That's the kind of thing going on here. That, and that's not much later in redemptive history, time-wise, than this. As one commentator says, this is an image taken from the ancient sport of belt wrestling. The winner is the one who removed the belt off his opponent. So as you're wrestling, you're trying to effectively disable the guy or give him such a massive wedgie that he cries out, uncle. This is vivid stuff. God's speaking in a way we can understand, loved ones. Now, literally, God's not saying, I'm going to wrestle you. What's going on? It's the trial by ordeal that the whole book of Job is about. It's pointing to the court of law that Job wants to enter God into. He wants to call God to the stand. He wants God to answer for why he's suffering so much. It's a verbal battle about where true wisdom lies. And God's going to teach him, not by punishing him, but by graciously showing to him the place of wisdom. He's not crushing him. He's not belittling him. He is reminding him that God is God and we are not. That Job lives a certain amount of years in a certain place at a certain time, like we do, that Job can't possibly understand all the things of God, neither can we. That God is not bound by time or space. That God is perfectly holy and just and righteous in all of his dealings. That's what we see, secondly, as God begins to question Job. In verse 4, we start on a tour, kids. Have you ever been on a vacation and mom and dad say, it's time for the tour? And you're hot and you're sweaty and you're thinking, oh no, I just want to take a nap or throw a baseball around. I don't want to go on another tour. Well, this is a tour of creation. And the picture here is of a building project which has a foundation that has been laid. Now remember, children, this is poetry. God speaks in his word in all different types of speech and in the poetic beauty of this chapter, God's wisdom 
is presented like a skilled craftsman. And God asked Job, were you there when I created the world? The answer, of course, is no. Who was there rejoicing at the creation of the world? Well, the angels, it says in verse 7. And this brings us back wonderfully to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, what? God. That means there was a point in time when the heavens and earth did not exist and God existed, God who is eternal. And how does God create? He speaks. He doesn't use existing materials to build something like we would. His word speaks, and by the power of his word, everything was created. God speaks, and yet in verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So Job is actually bringing us back to that point, reminding us that the earth in Genesis 1-2 was formless and void. It's dark. It's covered with water. It's empty. Children, is that a place you'd want to live? Not yet. God's not done creating. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. That's an amazing reality, that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the world. And the Spirit of God is filling the world to be a place for God's people to live. Days one, two, and three are the forming of the earth, like building a house, kids. That's what Job 38 is reminding us of. Days four, five, and six in Genesis 1 are filling the earth like you would fill a house with furniture. So the problems in Genesis 1, 2, not problems for God, but for us to live in that kind of place, are answered in the days of creation. Light answers the problem of darkness. Land answers the problem of water everywhere. And creatures answer the problem of the world being empty. And Job is about to be taken by God on a tour of the world God made, reminding us of the power, the majesty, the glory, the beauty of God, reminding us that the universe is not self-sufficient. It's not self-explanatory, and it's not self-sustaining. God created it. God sustains it. It also reminds us that there were no chaotic contingent entities that were pre-existent, that were kind of rivals to God and creation. God made everything good, that's the point. Now, after creation, there's the fall, isn't there? We live in a fallen, broken world. And in this tour of creation, that's where God takes Job next, verse 8. He says, Job, let's think about the sea. That means the ocean. And in the Bible, that's a symbol of chaos and disorder, evil, and ultimately, of death. And then he says, in poetic imagery, picture a mother that has a child, and the baby is born, as Christopher Ashe summarizes, and there's havoc when the baby's born. But then the baby's put into clothes and kind of put in a playpen. Our one-and-a-half-year-old is not a baby anymore, but 
boy, is he just busy. <laughs> you, you, you get him outside, and he's not in his stroller, and he is gone. See you later. Well, here's the picture. God says, like a baby in a playpen that's not roaming free and not causing chaos everywhere, so evil has a strange place in God's universe for the moment. But it's under his control, and it will not last. Evil has a limit. God restricts the progress of evil. And it might appear now that you think Satan is winning. There's evil and injustice everywhere. But, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. And he governs all things wisely. God wants us, as well as Job, to remember that. Has God finished? No. As the carpenter sang, he's only just begun. Verse 12. Maybe you're not a carpenter's fan. More questions. Job, do you know where the sun goes at night? Do you flip a switch in your room and cause the sun to go down? Do you flip a switch to cause the sun to come up again? No, you weren't there at the dawn of creation, Job. And the reason he talks about the sun here is because Job has accused God of afflicting him without reason and pouring out all these blessings on the wicked. And God, in poetic beauty here, is saying to Job, you know what, Job? Every time the sun comes up, it's a reminder that there's a judgment day yet coming. Darkness and evil and wickedness will not have the last say. Where does sin often happen? We know this, too, in darkness. Because sin is secretive, and it likes to hide in the shadows. So often the worst things that happen in a city, and sometimes even in our own homes, happen in darkness. But God is saying the light of light, and ultimately Christ is the light of the world, shines on that darkness. But God not only is sovereign over light and darkness, verse 16, he's sovereign over the gates of death itself. Job, have you been into the realm of the dead? Job's suffering was such that he thought he was about to be there. He felt like he was on the borders of it, but he didn't go there. God says, this is also in the scope of my knowledge, Job. The realm of the dead. And we know from the rest of the Bible that the unbeliever lives in the fear of death all day long. But we also know as Christians what Job didn't yet know, but he hoped in. He trusted in what? A man who would come and not just go to, but go through the gates of death. A man that would go to the place of the dead and not just die, but triumph over death. The place that is so awful to think about, death itself, is a place whose sting has been removed through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The terror of death has been taken away for you, Christian, because Jesus has burst through the bonds of death by his resurrection. That is foreshadowed in these verses. 
Verse 22, Job is taken beyond day and night to the stars and the moon and to the weather. And we read here, Job, have you ever entered the storehouses of the snow? So, kids, when it snows, is there like this big refrigerator in the sky that kind of opens up? No. When there's lightning, does it come out of this big, huge light socket that's up there somewhere? No. Now, we know much more about weather and things than they did in that day, but still, we don't fully understand this, do we? And God is reminding Job of that. He's also reminding Job in the hail of something that we know that Job didn't yet know, which is that God uses sometimes the weather to bring judgment on his enemies. Verse 23, God, in Joshua 10, threw down large stones from heaven to terrify the Amorites. And hail was one of the plagues of Egypt. And prophetic language of the final day of the wrath of God. Job, I'm sovereign over this, he's saying. When good weather comes, I send that good weather. When rain comes to water the earth, when snow comes in frosty, freezing January in Minnesota, that's God's wisdom. He sends it. And he sends it for a purpose, even though we don't maybe understand it. Verse 31, Job, I not only formed the earth, days one to three, I filled the earth, days four to six, and in the filling, what did God put up there in the sky, kids? Stars. Have you ever been out and looked in a clear night and seen the Big Dipper? Or, as mentioned here, Pleiades and Orion and the bear, these are constellations. And God's saying, I put them there. Job didn't go and hang them up like you would hang up a poster in your room. And do you see how often the creation that God made is abused by sinful humans? Dale mentioned that in his prayer. People look at the stars and then they look at horoscopes and they think that these things can determine these things and tell them these things. No, God ordained this. God set the stars there. We enjoy God's creation, but we don't worship it. He goes on. Verse 37. You know what, at this point, Job might be thinking? If if you're Job, what might you be thinking? Give me five. My grandpa always used to say that. I'm mowing the lawn outside. Let's, Let's take five, he said. Can I have a break? And God says, no, no break, Job. In fact, Alex, let's take animals for a thousand for playing Jeopardy. Next round, next category. Where are we going? Well, we're going to animals, kids. And I want you, kids, if you have time this afternoon, to read through this part of Job 39. Draw some pictures of these animals. Share them with me or share them with mom and dad because this is really amazing. God created all sorts of strange animals. Why is God mentioning this? Because these creatures are beyond our control. We didn't make them. We don't take care of them. God did, and God does. So remember what God's teaching Job? Wisdom. He's teaching Job about himself. So, Job, let's think about the lions. Como zoo. You see them. Do you, Job, go and feed the lions? Do you provide a place for the lions to live? 
How about the ravens, the birds? Even the baby ravens, it says, cry out to God for their food. They know that their food comes from God. Why is this being mentioned? Well, do you remember earlier in Job chapter 10? Job accused God of relentlessly hunting him down like a lion. Now God is saying, no, I'm not doing that, Job. In fact, I made the lion. I take care of the lion. He goes on, mountain goats. Job, do you know how a mountain goat gives birth? Do you know where a mountain goat gives birth? Do you know how many mountain goats give birth? (laughs) You're thinking, of course not. God is doing this tour to remind Job of his limitation. Wild donkeys. Job, those wild donkeys, not the donkeys that are in the city. Do you notice that? It's personified, as Ash says, verse 5. Donkeys in the city have someone who are kind of taking care of them. They're feeding them. And they're using those donkeys to carry stuff. But picture a donkey that's wild. South Dakota, Badlands, there's wild donkeys out there still. These donkeys roam free. Job, did you create the free spirit of the wild donkey? Verse 9. Kids, I want to ask you a question. Do unicorns exist? Are unicorns in the Bible? Look at verse 9. This speaks of a wild ox. This was a massive creature over six feet wide at the shoulders. Interestingly, this creature had two horns that went forward. The King James Version, no joke, translates Job 39.9 as unicorn. There's a few other verses they translate this as well. Now, this is not the unicorn of fairy tales. This is not a white horse with that thing sticking out. What is it? It's a wild ox of long ago. These things actually existed. They were like bison, enormous. They're extinct now. But when David in Psalm 22 talks of being rescued from the horns of the wild ox, he's talking about a very ferocious animal. The Egyptian pharaoh killed 75 of them in a hunt. So when God's talking about this, he's saying, Job, there's some really wild, crazy animals out there. Did you create them? No. You know what? There's also some very odd animals out there. Verse 13 of chapter 39. The ostrich. Have you seen an ostrich? What a strange-looking animal. They're huge, and they have these little wings, but can they fly? No, they can't fly. And what does the verse here say about what they do with their babies? They have their eggs, and they just leave them. They take the money, and they run, Steve Miller would say. What's going on? Why don't they take care of the babies? And these ostriches, which can't fly, can run. They can run so fast that the horse is kind of jealous of the ostrich. Job, did you make an ostrich? Did you create such a strange animal? No, God did. Don't you love how the Bible is accommodated? That's what Calvin said. It's given to us in a way that we can understand because God is teaching us something of ourselves and him here. Verse 39 in chapter 26. uh, I'm sorry, chapter 39, verse 26. Job, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? Now, as you look at that, by your understanding, does that remind you of something? It's an inclusio, as 
our good Sunday school teacher Dustin has taught us. It brings us right back to verse 4 of chapter 38, by your understanding. That's what all this is about. This is not Dr. Doolittle talk. This is Job's capacity to understand how the works of God in creation operate and God's ability to control all of these things, from lightning to ostriches. The hawk, though, there's a twist. Do you see that? The focus is actually on a hawk who sees prey, who goes after the prey, who captures the mouse and brings it up and feeds it to its young. Interesting image, isn't it? What are the young eating? Well, they're eating humans slain in battle, chapter 39, verse 30, because the image before this is of a war horse. Think Lord of the Rings, if you're wondering what kind of war horse this is. The horses that carry the dark riders, the Nazgul. This war horse is out for blood. It's dark. It's dangerous. It has power. And the picture is of a terrifying creature and killing and judgment. Remember, none of the Bible is isolated by itself. So later on in the Bible, in Ezekiel 39, we read of judgment language with birds who are called by God to a judgment feast of prey, who are rebellious, unbelieving sinners, men and captains and horses and riders. So we read this and we understand the ultimate vanity of human wisdom and the efforts to be wise by ourselves is this. Rebellious, unbelieving, unrepentant sinners are reduced to food for the animals. Revelation 19, 17. The angel cries out with a loud voice to all the birds that fly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God. There's judgment language here. But there's grace here. Because when we read of the eagle, what are we also reminded of? Something that would be promised to Israel in the days of the Exodus, after the days of Job. When God says, I will come and I will bear you up on eagles' wings. I will protect you. I will watch over you. I will take care of you. No eternal harm can come to my covenant people. I am for them. I'm not against them. Third, how does Job respond to this? Round one of the belt wrestling match is done. Job cries, uncle. He realizes, I have nothing to say. He's not disputing with God. He's not demanding to approach God like a prince. That was how he ended chapter 31. He's humbled, but remember what else he is? He's assured. Those two things go together. In fact, without one, you can't have the other. Humbled and assured. He says, I'm of small account. Literally, I'm light. The opposite of that is heavy. The glory of God is heavy. Job says, I need to go low. And in light of the majesty of God, that's exactly where he goes. He puts his hand on his mouth. He's speechless. God's word 
like Romans says, has shut his mouth. And dear Christian, so it is with us. God loves us too much to let us be stuck on ourselves. God cares for us too much for us to think too highly of ourselves. Now, the answer is not to think low of yourself. The answer is to think of ourselves less, to think more of the greatness of God and more of each other, looking out to each other in love. And that's what's happening to Job. God is far greater than he thought he was. Dear Christian, God is God and I am not. God is God and you are not. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation in the 1500s was Luther going to Erasmus and saying, Erasmus, your God is far too small. You've whittled him down. There's nothing left of the God of many people in the world today. They've made him in their own image, returning and reversing how God made us in his image. Let God be God. That's what this chapter is teaching. We see that throughout the chapter, but especially when you think of the stars. The billions of stars, 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the over 100 billion galaxies. And as Derek Thomas says, these things boggle our minds so much, but think of this. The light from the North Star takes 350 years to get to Earth, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. That means, Thomas says, the light that we see from the North Star started traveling to us just after the Westminster Assembly, which was in the 1640s. And we think that's beyond what I can imagine. It is. And yet, the billions of galaxies dwarf in comparison to the greatness of God. Isaiah 40, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. These chapters remind us God is far greater than we have conceived him to be, and we are smaller than we have conceived ourselves to be. Until Job realizes how small he is in the face of what God made, let alone God himself, he's not where God wants him to be. Derek Thomas says, once, Job, once God speaks here, Job's ego is burst like a balloon that's popped. That happened in our home a while back. The kids were playing with a balloon and one of them got a little bit too excited with the balloon and what happens? It pops and the other one wails and Tears because the balloons popped. That's what needs to happen to our ego. Job is not trying to defend himself. Do you notice that? That's what we so often do. We try to, to defend ourselves and to say, well, it's not all that bad in our self-righteousness and pride. But God is deflating our pride by his grace because he loves us. So to grow up spiritually, we need to grow downwards. Kids, you are measured sometimes by those measuring sticks at home and you grew a couple inches here and there and mom and dad see how you grow. Well, for us to grow into Christ, we grow downwards, not upwards. Downwards into meekness. This is not like a wet noodle. Meekness is strength under control. 
growing downwards into humility. Remembering Paul's words in Romans 9, that's what Job reminds us of a lot. Oh man, who are you to reply to God? Will the thing made reply to the creator? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? Another application. We have been created in God's image to explore and to create. That's part of how God made you. You want to explore new things. You want to learn new things, kids. You might love art or technology or sports or writing or science or math. And you might want to invent new things, and we're thankful for that. God's common grace and the wisdom he's given in common grace, we're thankful for. But there are many things we cannot know. And the creator-creature distinction was a fundamental mark of the Reformation, and it's seen right here in Job. Meaning, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And as we study the Word of God, what we learn is that God is incomprehensible, that He is dwelling in unapproachable light. Job's friends made the mistake of trying to kind of say, We've got God all figured out. We know what's going on. We can interpret the secret, mysterious, hidden decree and providence of God. And God's saying, No, you can't. And no, we can't either incomprehensible, meaning mystery is the vital element of theology. That's Herman Bavink. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. We're limited creatures, and God is unfathomable. God knows all things. God plans all things. Even in eternity, we will remain finite Even then, when we're glorified, we won't plumb to the depths of the knowledge and the glory and the majesty of God. God's thoughts are not only quantitatively greater than ours, they are qualitatively different. He's the ectype of all knowledge. He is the archetype of all knowledge. Our thinking isn't, this is a theological term, ectype of his exhaustive knowledge, meaning When God speaks, he creates, just by his word. God is the standard of truth. He determines what's morally right. Nothing in human thought, Stephen Wellam says, is like that. We're finite and we're fallen. God is incomprehensible, but we must not stop there. God is not unknowable. The two heirs in misunderstanding God's incomprehensibility, our first, pantheism. Everything is God, and God is everything. Second, it's that God is utterly unknowable. We know nothing about him, but we do know him. We know him through the world he's made. All the animals point to his glory, and we know him savingly by the promises he's made in Scripture. We know him by his word. Scripture is God's covenant word, the product of his sovereign action. And it's the Holy Spirit that inspired human authors to write exactly what God wanted written. So when you open your Bible tomorrow morning, or when you open your Bible as a family, what you're reading is God's authoritative, 
inspired, inerrant, infallible word. You're reading what God wants you to know of him. This is God speaking. You're reading in a way that God has accommodated himself to you by analogy. Meaning, our language is built upon this reality. We're not God, but God has revealed himself in our language. Putting everything he wants you to know about him in his word. And do you know how this helps us in suffering? If God were to try to explain to Job why he was bringing Job through this trial as he was, it would be like trying to pour the Atlantic Ocean into a sippy cup. It wouldn't fit. God's questions to Job reveal how much Job would need to know to understand his suffering because of the interrelatedness of the world, Thomas says. He is so above us, we can't understand his ways, his providence, and him, God himself. So God doesn't answer Job's why me questions. He teaches him of the wisdom of God, of the smallness of Job. But we also are taught in the smallness of humanity that God himself became like us. In Jesus Christ, he became incarnate. He dwelt among us. Jesus, the creator of the universe, spent time talking to little children. There's nothing too small in his eyes. So God doesn't despise smallness. God gives grace to us in Christ, and it's by faith in him that we are redeemed, we are justified, we have fellowship with the triune God, and we remember God's covenant promises to us that are yes and amen in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus, who is tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Help us to hold fast our confession of faith. Help us to remember that you are the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in covenant, faithful love to us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.